If you have your Bibles, turn over to Luke chapter 19, if you would, verses 11 to 27 was what we'll be looking at in our time together this morning. I'm going to start a phrase and I'll let you finish it. When the cat's away, okay, we have all seen that in the home front. Um, I've seen it as a teacher. How many teachers, we have a lot of, how many teachers do we have here? Yeah. Retired, retired teachers too. It's just a lot in here. So you've either experienced this as a teacher or perhaps as a student. Where you've come into your classroom and you've said, look, I've got to step out of my classroom for a, for a little bit. I'll be back before the end of the period. Here is some work I want you to go through until I get back. You go out. What happens? A variety of things. There's, there's some that actually work through those math problems. There are others that look at that math problem, fold it up, they stick it in their book, and they get out their laptop <laughs> or their iPhone and just do whatever. And their intention is, perhaps I'll do it later, maybe for homework, whatever. There are some who crumble it up and throw it out and say, this is just an hour to play. But what happens if the teacher comes in? Oh, maybe he comes in just with five minutes, ten minutes left in the class. He collects the papers and grades them, and some people do well, and some people don't do so well. That's life, isn't it? Do you think that can happen in relationship to the second coming of Christ? Is it possible that Jesus can say, I'm coming back, and there's some people that say, I don't believe that, and they crumble it up and they throw it out. They don't even believe it's ever going to happen. They kind of do their own thing. Second Peter 3, yeah, yeah, people will do that. Are there some people that say, I don't know, maybe he will, maybe he won't. I'm sure he will, I guess, whatever, but they fold it all up and they put it in their book and they go on living life as they want. Does that happen? And are there others that work? Yeah, you find all of that, don't you? You're going to find that in the story that we're looking at today, too. Let's kind of work through this story. It, it sounds a little bit like another one in Matthew chapter five, Matthew 25, but it's a little bit different. And we want to work through it. Um, very interesting. Look at verse 11. The Bible says this. And while they were listening to these things... Well, listening to what things? Well, wh where is Jesus? Jesus is on his way to where? Jerusalem, okay? And on his, on his way there, he's teaching guys. And what you find is pe people are misunderstanding things almost at every turn. So as James looked at last week, a blind man wants to be healed. How, how does everybody respond in the, in the crowd? Like, yay, bring him on? No, they get that guy out of here. Jesus says, no, you, don't you understand? That's what I'm about. Zacchaeus. Dirty, rotten, good for nothing. That's what people think. Jesus says, no, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. So in this context, Jesus is teaching them about themselves. It's not connecting with some of them very well. As he's on his way to Jerusalem, and as he's getting closer, he's concerned about something. 
They think when he comes into Jerusalem, he's going to be king just the way they want him to be king. Right? And he's going to come in and those dirty, rotten, good-for-nothing Romans are going to be done, finished. And everything will be wonderful. Yes, let's go. Jesus has been teaching it's not going to be that way. Will there be a future kingdom? Oh, yes, yes, yes. It's coming. It's just not coming now. And so, he went on to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem. And they supposed that the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately. In all of its fullness. And it wasn't. So he tells them a story. It's a story they need to listen to. It's a story we need to listen to. Look at what he says here. Verse 12. He said, therefore, a certain nobleman went to a distant country to receive a kingdom for himself and then return. Now, you may read that and you say, like, like what's that all about? But if you were living... In the first century, that would make a whole lot of sense to you. Remember who ruled the Roman Empire? It was the emperor, right? But what they, Rome had done is in certain areas of the Roman Empire, they had set up what they call client kings. Where they would say, why don't we let a local person kind of rule that thing? He answers directly to us, but um, it might work better with those people. Now, that changed over time, but, but they often would do that. They would set up these kind of client kings. But here was the problem. When a guy like Herod the Great dies, who has a bunch of sons, which one will be picked? And so what would happen is a whole bunch of sons would go to the emperor and say, man, I will be the best. Put me in charge of all that stuff. And somebody, No, no, it'll be me. No, you know. And that doesn't just happen either. Then there's people, there's delegations who like one guy and don't like another guy. And they go to the emperor too and they say, whatever you do, don't put that guy in. And finally the emperor has to look at all that stuff and says, you're in or you're in partly or whatever. I mean, that's how it worked in the ancient world. And so when Jesus gives this story about a nobleman gone to a faraway country and there he would get the kingdom and he would come back as king. They knew exactly what he was talking about. That was their world. We look at it and we think like, what in the world? But that's, Jesus is speaking to their culture. So, he calls ten of his slaves, verse 13, and he gave them ten minas. Does anybody know what a mina is? Yeah, yeah, the other day I was, you know, I gave the guy five bucks and he gave me a mina back. No, I mean, you know, we don't know what a mina is. A mina is about what you would make as just a normal common person for about 100 days. So it's about a third of a year's salary, roughly. That's not bad. I don't know, what's the medium pay in New Jersey? Fifty, sixty thousand dollars. I don't know. Does that sound about right? I'm not sure. So this would be fifteen to twenty thousand bucks, roughly, something like that. So this nobleman's gone away. He calls ten of his guys in, and each guy he gives twenty thousand bucks to. Okay, all right, we got it. Look what he says. Do business with this until I come. 
That's it. Guys, that's actually my money. You invest it. You work it. You be a good steward of that until I come. Well, how long are you going to come? I'm coming. Well, when? Eventually. You work it. Okay. But look at what else happens. But his citizens hated him. I don't know why that was exactly. Um, perhaps it was undeserved. They hated him, and they sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. So you've got a group of people who are going to say, whatever, we don't want this guy to be our ruler. And you've got another set of people, at least 10 slaves, and he's given all the 20,000 bucks out to each one of them and says, I want you to steward this faithfully until I come. And another group of people saying, we hate you. Does that sound at all familiar? I mean, are you beginning to make some parallels here? Verse 15. And it came about that when he returned, after receiving the kingdom, that he's king, he's got it all. He ordered that these slaves to whom he had given the money be called to him in order that he might know what business they had done. Fortunately, some of the guys were working on those math assignments while he was gone, right? And the first appeared saying, Master, your mina has made 10 minas more. Well, that's pretty good. You gave me 20. You got 200. That's a pretty good deal, isn't it? Right? This guy seemed like he was working pretty hard. He said to him, well done, good slave. Because you have been faithful in a very little thing, be in authority over ten cities. I want you to think about that for a second. I give you twenty grand. I go away for a couple years. I come back, it's worth twenty thousand, and I say, because now I and the king of the United States of America. And I tell you that you are now over Philadelphia. I was going to throw Washington in there to Washington here. But I, but I, I choose 10 cities and big towns around the country. And I say, now you're, you're, you're over all that. Would you say that that was pretty gracious? I mean, 200,000 bucks is pretty good. But now you're in charge of 10 cities. That's amazing. I mean, this king, who apparently was hated by some citizens, strikes me as being pretty gracious. Doesn't he to you? I mean, the guy invested. And he says, you will be over 10 cities. I'm thinking, like, that's a, that's a marvelous deal. Look what it goes on to say. Verse 18. And the second slave came, saying, you're mine, a master has made five minas. So he took it from 20,000 to 100,000. And he said to him, loser, it should have been 10. Does he say that? No, sure, certainly does not. And you are to be over five cities. That's incredibly gracious too.
here is a king who goes away. And when I read about how the citizens feel about him, I wonder maybe he's not all that kind. I don't know why they're angry. But all I can tell you is when I read about what he begins to do when he comes back, he doesn't strike me as being much of anything but powerful, mighty, and gracious all at the same time. Another came saying, verse 20, Master, behold, here is your mina. That's it. Which I kept put away in a handkerchief. Now, um, do you ever put something in your pocket that's really valuable and you lose it? Um, my kids do this. They once in a while will borrow my uh, credit card, my debit card, to go over and get something at the store, which we always make sure we get as soon as they get back, and then look at the receipt. Um, but I always tell them, don't just stick this in your pocket. I want it in your purse. I want, you know what I mean? I mean, like, I'm really careful what, what they do with that thing because inevitably I've had kids come back and say, so where's, where's my credit card? Uh, I don't, I, don't, I don't know, Dad. You know, because there's certain places you don't put it because it's too easy to lose it. How smart was this guy putting it in a handkerchief? It wasn't smart at all. So the whole thing that he's doing here doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I mean, he's foolish, he's deceptive, he's, he's a whole host of things. But that's what he says. Well, why would you have done this? And, and here's my guess. This would have been the guy if he was taking sitting in on your class, your math class, when you left and said, I'm going to come back, he would have taken the assignment sheet, stuck it in his book. Actually, probably wouldn't have even done that. He would have probably just put it down somewhere where it could have been lost and thought, I'll do it later. Do you, do you see? But he had a reason. Now, now, now that the, 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 the king's back, he's got to come up with an explanation. So here's his explanation, verse 21. I, I was afraid of you because you're a, an austere strict, severe man. You take up what you did not lay down and reap what you did not sow. You know what I think your reputation is? You're a taker and not a giver. You don't do any of the work, but you come and take it all for yourself. That's what he's saying, isn't he? It's pretty strong language. He said to him, Verse 22, so the, the master now, the king, is responding back. By your own words, I will judge you. Okay, let's, let's set up the scenario, which the king disagrees with, but let's set up the scenario of exactly what you're saying. So you're saying, I am an exacting, severe, austere, strict person, man. Okay, let's run that gamut out. And see what we find. Because what he's going to do is he's going to expose the guy in the process. By your own words I will judge you, you wicked slave. Did you know, did you not know that I, did you know that I am an exacting man taking what I did not lay down and reaping what I did not sow? Then why did you not put the money in the bank and having come, I would have collected it with interest? 
Really, Seth? Just look. If you think I am the per kind of person that takes back and expects all kinds of things, and, and all you had to do is deposit it in the bank. And I know the banking system's different than ours. But nonetheless, you could have done something as simple as that. And when I, when I came back, it would have been worth something more than just one mina. So what he does is he exposes this man as lazy, deceptive, unthankful, and foolish. Do you see? But look what he does. He said to the bystanders, people standing around, take the mina away from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. And they said to him, Master, he already has ten minas. I tell you, the king said, that to everyone who has shall more be given. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away from him. Actually, Jesus has quoted this two other times earlier in the Gospels. The same idea. And the king has this principle, and here's the principle. If you do not use what I have given you, you will lose it. If you do use what I have given you, you will gain more than you can possibly imagine. But if you don't use it, you'll lose it. Verse 27. But these enemies of mine, because remember, there was a whole bunch of citizens that said, we hate him. We're not even going to, we're going to crumble up his math paper and throw it out. We don't want to have anything to do with this guy. But these enemies of mine, who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slay them in my presence. My, this is a hard text, isn't it? Think by a great text for Christmas season. Don't blame me, blame Luke. But you know, we need to remember this one also at Christmas season. What is Jesus saying? A couple things. I want to look at these different groups. This is really important, especially if you're here and you're visiting with us. I want to be very, very clear about something. If Jesus comes back today, or whenever he chooses to come back, and you stand before him, will he say, you can come into heaven if you've done enough? Is that, what, is that the truth that Jesus is trying to communicate here? No. The only reason you can ever go to heaven because you have a relationship with God through his son who has died for you. That's it. But here's the point. When you trust in Christ and when you become a Christian, things change. Perfectly? No. Progressively. And so here are two individuals who invest, two slaves of the ten that we read about. They invest one actually increases 
10 minus 1, 5. But both of them are approved by God, aren't they? You and I are given stewardships by God if you know Jesus Christ. You trust him as your Lord and Savior. You are his slave. You're his child. You're his steward. You're all those things. And you're called to take your time, your talent, your treasures, and all those things, and to invest them in light of the fact that the king is coming. And some invest them in ways that are Incredible. And they do that as they're responding to the work of God in their heart. It's all true. It's all true. And God uses them greatly. And others God uses too. But I know this. Every Christian will do something. Because we're new people. The spirit resides within. We will live differently. I don't know if it's 10 or 5. Doesn't what matters. But whatever. Something happens. And all I can tell you is for believers, when they appear before Christ, they will only be accepted because they've been forgiven by Jesus. But their rewards in heaven will be based upon what they have done for Jesus. Do you see? And I, I have to tell you, there's a couple other passages that talk about this in Luke's gospel. I... I I don't know what that all looks like. Nobody really does. All I know is when you and I give our lives for the master who we really know is coming, we don't know when, we just give it all for him. And it doesn't mean you have to be a pastor. It means you just have to be a Christian. Because if you're a Christian, you're a steward, you're a minister, you're all that. Our whole lives are given over to him. All I can say is we will come to him and say, hey, here's 200,000. And he will say, what I am going to give you now far exceeds that. That's all I know. How that all works its way out and what we do. All I know is we're going to be going like, holy mackerel. That was really good. <laughs> Man, am I ever glad I did that. By his pious strength, by his grace. All true, all true. Do, do you see? So, so people invest, and they're only saved by his grace, but they're rewarded based on their stewardship. What about the guy that takes his math assignment and sticks it in the book or whatever? I would argue that you find all the way through the gospel that that represents somebody who may profess to know Christ, but has never known him. They're not really believers. They profess it. They, they may come on a Sunday morning and they may even sit here. When you say, how's it going? Good. How was your Thanksgiving? Nice. But there's no life within. There's religiosity. There's even interest in the Bible. They even like to talk about Jesus. But they're not saved. And they will evidence that by the fact that they don't faithfully steward what God has given them. Do, do, do you see? And th these stories come up again and again and again and again and again through Scripture. We are only saved by grace. 
We are only saved by grace through faith. But someone who is saved by grace through faith will live differently, not perfectly. Progressively differently because it's their steward. Well, Doug, how about all these citizens that are killed? Is there a whole host of people that want to have nothing to do with the name of Christ? Yeah. And will they one day face his wrath? Yes, but I want you to realize something. In this same chapter, when Jesus is coming in Jerusalem, notice what he says in verse 41 of Luke 19. And when he approached the city and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, If you had known in this day even you the things which would make for peace, but now they have been hidden from your eyes. Does Jesus stand as a king that says, I could care less about you. Does he? No. These are individuals who he has wept over and talked to and pleaded with all through his ministry. And at the end of the day, when they say, we will not have you to be king over us, he will not force their hand and he will give them what they want and they will face his wrath. Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. It is there that the whole world will be turned upside down. Because he will die, he will be buried, he will resurrect, he will ascend, and he will rule. And as he's coming, he says, don't think you're going to get all of that now. There's a delay. The teacher stepped out of the room. What are you going to do? Going to crumble up the paper? They finally couldn't stand that guy anyway. Huh. Perhaps I'll work on that later. What are you going to say? He's coming. I don't know when, but he's coming. And he's asked me to do this, so I'm going to do it. Where are you? If you don't know Christ, don't try to give him any of your work. It won't do you a lick of good. You've got to come to him. You've got to trust in him alone as your Lord and Savior. But if you know him, steward what he has given you. And be amazed at the end of the day with how gracious he is. Father,